Welcome to today's reading of the Mason City Globe Gazette and the Fort Dodge Messenger. I'm your reader, Doug Kretzinger, and our first story today from the Mason City Globe Gazette, Several Shot at Iowa High School is the headline. There's a picture of a policeman in uniform with a rifle, as we've seen, I'm sorry to say, many times in different places. But here it is in Perry, and it says here, Police respond to Perry High School in Perry, Iowa, on Thursday after a 17-year-old opened fire, killing a sixth grader and wounding five others. This is written by Andrew Harnick of the Associated Press, and that is the picture there of uh, the policeman looking very concerned. And it reads, Dateline, Perry, Iowa, a 17-year-old opened fire at a small town, Iowa High School, on the first day of school after the winter break, killing a sixth grader and wounding five others as students barricaded in offices and fled in panic. The suspect, a student at the school in Perry, died of what investigators believe was a self-inflicted gunshot wound, and at least one of the victims is a school administrator, a law enforcement official told the Associated Press. The official spoke to the AP on condition of anonymity. Perry has about 8,000 residents and is about 40 miles northwest of Des Moines on the edge of the state capital's metropolitan area. The high school and middle school are connected, sitting on the east edge of town. Perry High School senior Abba or Ava Augustus said she was in a counselor's office when she heard three shots. She and other people barricaded the door, preparing to throw things, if necessary, with a window being too small for an escape. And then we hear, excuse me here, I just lost it for a second. I must go back. My apologies so soon. And then we hear, he's down. You can go out, Augustus said through tears. And I run and you can just see glass everywhere, blood on the floor. I get to my car, and they're taking a girl out of the auditorium who had been shot in her leg. Three gunshot victims were taken by ambulance to Iowa Methodist Medical Center in Des Moines, a spokesperson for its health system said. Some other patients were transported to a second hospital in Des Moines. A spokesperson for Mercy One Des Moines Medical Center confirmed, declining to comment on the number of patients uh, or their uh, statuses. A post on the high school's Facebook page said it would be closed Friday with counseling services planned at the public library Friday and Saturday. In Washington, U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland was briefed on the shooting. FBI agents from the Omaha Des Moines office are assisting with the investigation led by the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation. The shooting occurred in the backdrop of Iowa's first-in-the-nation presidential caucuses. GOP candidate Vivek Ramaswamy had a campaign event scheduled in Perry at 9 a.m., about one and a half miles from the high school, but canceled it to have a prayer and discussion with area residents. Mass shootings across the U.S. have long brought calls for stricter gun laws from gun safety advocates, and Thursdays did within hours. That idea is traditionally a non-starter for many Republicans, particularly in rural GOP-leaning states like Iowa. As of July 2021, Iowa does not require a permit to purchase a handgun or carry a firearm in public 
though it mandates a background check for persons buying a handgun without a permit. Ramaswamy said the shooting is a sign of a psychological sickness in the country. In Des Moines, GOP rival and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said that gun violence is more of a local and state issue in an interview with the Des Moines Register and NBC News. The high school in Perry is part of the 1,785-student Perry Community School District. The town is more diverse than Iowa as a whole, with census figures showing that 31% of the residents are Hispanic, compared to less than 7% for the state. Those figures also show that almost 19% of the town's residents were born outside the U.S. An active shooter was reported at 7.37 a.m. Thursday, and officers arrived seven minutes later. Dallas County Sheriff Adam Infante, I-N-F-A-N-T-E, said, emergency vehicles surrounded the middle and high school. Xander Shelley, 15, was in a hallway when he heard gunshots and dashed into a classroom, according to his father, Kevin Shelley. Xander was grazed twice and hid in the classroom before texting his father at 7.36 a.m. Kevin Shelley, who drives a garbage truck, told his boss he had to run. It was the most scared I've been in my entire life, he said. Rachel Cares, an 18-year-old senior, was wrapping up jazz band practice when she and her bandmates heard what she described as four gunshots based apart. We all just jumped, Cares said. My band teacher looked at us and yelled, run, so we ran. Cares and many others from the school ran out past the football field as she heard people yelling, get out, get out. She said she heard additional shots as she ran but didn't know how many. She was more concerned about getting home to her three-year-old son. At that moment, I didn't care about anything except getting out because I had to get home with my son, she said. Erica Joliff, J-O-L-L-I-F-F, said her daughter, a ninth grader, reported getting rushed from the school grounds at 7.45 a.m. Distraught, Joliff was still looking for her son, Amir, a sixth grader, one hour later. I just don't, I just want to know that he's safe and okay, Joliff said. They won't tell me nothing. And then there's a picture right beside this. A man and children leave the McCrary Community Building after being reunited following a shooting Thursday at Perry High School in Perry, Iowa. Walking out with uh, three kids in his hands, and a fourth on the side, and then in the background there are uh, some police officers and others discussing things. The next story on page one, there aren't many local uh, stories today in the Gazette, but this one isn't, uh, this one is a national story with local hang to it. Biden, Trump each turned January 6 into rallying cries, written by Will Weissert, W-E-I-S-S-E-R-T of the Associated Press. The dateline is Washington. Says former President Donald Trump will spend Saturday's third anniversary of the Capitol riot by holding two campaign rallies in lead-off voting Iowa in his bid to win back the White House. To mark the moment, President Joe Biden plans to visit a site near Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, on Friday, where George Washington and the struggling Continental Army endured a tough winter during the American Revolution. Biden's advisors say the stop 
in a critical swing state will highlight Trump's role in the January 6th siege and give the Democrat a chance for him to lay out the stakes of this year's election. Weather concerns led Biden to move up his appearance from Saturday. With Biden and Trump headed toward a potential 2020 rematch, both are talking about the same event in very different ways and offering framing they believe gives them an advantage. The dueling narratives reflect how an attack that disrupted the certification of the election is increasingly viewed differently along party lines, and how Trump has bet that the riot won't hurt his candidacy. Trump's uh, supporters stormed the Capitol in an attempt to stop Congress from certifying Biden's victory, and they forced lawmakers and then Vice President Mike Pence to flee for their lives. And there's a color picture here of uh, the Capitol with all the um, signs and uh, things and the men and ladies who were there that day, January 6th, in front of it. Uh, many Trump loyalists walked to the Capitol after a rally outside the White House in which the Republican president exhorted the crowd to fight like hell or you're not going to have a country anymore. Nine deaths were linked to the attack and more than 700 people have gone to court for their roles in it. More than 450 people have been sentenced to prison. Federal prosecutors in Washington charged Trump in connection with the riot, citing his uh, promotion of false and debunked the theories and debunked theories of election fraud and efforts to overturn the results. Trump pleaded not guilty and continues to lie about the 2020 election. Trump has still built a commanding lead in the Republican primary, and his rivals largely refrained from criticizing him about January 6. He has called it a beautiful day and described those imprisoned for the insurrection as great, great patriots and hostages. At some campaign rallies, he has played a recording of the Star-Spangled Banner sung by jail rioters, the anthem interspersed with his recitation of the Pledge of Allegiance. Republican strategist Alice Stewart said that a lot of Republican voters don't love January 6th, but they're not obsessed about it either, and may support Trump because they oppose Biden's economic policies. Republican voters can hold two consecutive thoughts and say, January 6th, that wasn't great, but that doesn't affect my bottom line, she said. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, one of Trump's rivals for the Republican nomination, called January 6th a protest that ended up uh, devolving and has more recently said Trump should have come out more forcefully against the rioters. Another candidate, Trump's former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley, frequently tells crowds that January 6th, quote, was not a beautiful day, it was a terrible day, end quote. But views overall of the attack have hardened along partisan lines. In the days after the attack, 52% of U.S. adults said Trump bore a lot of responsibility for January 6th, according to the Pew Research Center. By early 2022, that declined to 43%. The number of Americans who said Trump bore no responsibility also increased to 32%, in 2022 compared to 24% in 2021. A Washington Post University of Maryland poll released this week found about 7 in 10 Republicans say too much is being made of the attack. Just 18% of GOP supporters say that protesters who entered the Capitol were mostly violent, 
down from 26% in 2021, while 70%, or rather 77% of Democrats and 54% of independents say the protesters were mostly violent, essentially unchanged from 2021. A December poll from the Associated Press NORC Center for Public Affairs Research, meanwhile, found that 87% of Democrats and 54% of independents believe a second Trump term would negatively affect U.S. democracy. Some 82% of Republicans believe democracy would be weakened by another Biden win, with, 50%, with 56% of independents agreeing. Biden's campaign also announced an advertising push starting Saturday with a spot centering on the Capitol attack. It's a theme Biden has returned to repeatedly. He marked the first anniversary of the riot in 2022 by standing inside the Capitol's National Statuary Hall, which was flooded by pro-Trump rioters during the attack, to suggest that his predecessor and his supporters has have had had a dagger at the throat of America. Ahead of the 2022 midterm elections, the president repeatedly characterized Trump as a threat to democracy. And that included a speech at Philadelphia's Constitution Hall, where he said that the extreme ideology of Trump and his supporters threatens the very foundation of our republic. On the second anniversary of the attack in 2023, Biden awarded presidential medals to 14 people for their work protecting the Capitol during the attack and descried a violent mob of insurrectionists. More recently, he said there was no question Trump supported an insurrection. Not even during the Civil War did insurrectionists breach our Capitol, said Julie Chavez Rodriguez, manager of Biden's re-election campaign, in a call with reporters this week. But at the urging of Donald Trump, insurrectionists on January 6, 2021, did. Here are a few uh, national stories. U.S. airstrike in Iraq kills militia commander. It's Baghdad. <clears throat> a U.S. airstrike on the headquarters of, a, of an Iran-backed, Iran-backed militia in central Baghdad killed a high-ranking militia commander Thursday, militia officials said. The strike comes amid fears that the Israeli-Hamas war could spread in the region. It also coincides with a push by Iraqi officials for the U.S.-led coalition forces to leave the country. The Popular Mobilization Force, or PMF, coalition of militias that is nominally under the control of the Iraqi military, announced its deputy head of operations in Baghdad, Abu Tagwa, was killed as a result of brutal American aggression. A U.S. defense official who spoke on condition of anonymity said Abu Taqwa was targeted because he was actively involved in attacks on U.S. personnel. And Houthis uh, launched dro- uh, drone toward Red Sea ships. Armed unmanned surface vessel launched from Houthi-controlled Yemen got within a couple of miles of U.S. Navy and commercial vessels in the Red Sea before detonating on Thursday, just hours after the White House and a host of uh, partner nations issued a final warning to the Iran-backed militia group to cease the attacks of or face potential military action. Vice Admiral Brad Cooper, the head of U.S. Navy operations in the Middle East, said it was the first time the Houthis 
had used an unmanned surface vessel, or USV, since their harassment of commercial ships in the Red Sea began after the outbreak of the Israeli-Hamas war. They have, however, used them in years past. Pentagon spokesman Major General Pat Ryder would not say whether any military action would follow Thursday's launch of the Sea Drone. Proud Boys Christopher Worrell, 52, a member of the Proud Boys extremist group who went on the run after his conviction in January in the January 6, 2021 attack at the U.S. Capitol and then allegedly faked a drug overdose after he was caught, was sentenced Thursday to 10 years in prison. And here's a labor issue. SpaceX sued a U.S. labor agency Thursday, a day after the agency accused the company of creating an impression that worker activities were under the surveillance and unlawfully firing employees who penned a letter critical of CEO Elon Musk. And Michael Shapiro, 72, of Green Acres, Florida, was arrested Wednesday. Federal prosecutors said he threatened to kill U.S. Representative Eric Swalwell and his children in voicemails left at the California Democrats' Washington office last month. Government buildings in several states were evacuated Thursday after bomb threats causing disruptions for a second day in a row in some places. No explosives were found and the buildings were reopened to the public. And in Illinois, five voters filed a petition Thursday seeking to bar former President Donald Trump from the Illinois Republican primary election ballot in March, claiming he is ineligible to hold office because he encouraged and did little to stop the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol. And podcasters, neo-Nazi podcaster Christopher Gibbons, 40 years old, who called for the deaths of Prince Harry and his young son, was sentenced to eight years in prison Thursday, and his co-host Tyrone Tyrone Patton Walsh, 34, was sentenced to seven years in prison. The judge in London called them dedicated and unapologetic white supremacists. That's an Associated Press article. Headline reads, Israel lays out vague plan for Gaza. Military strike flattens home, killing a dozen people, mostly children. And it's an Associated Press article. Dateline is Rafah, Gaza Strip. Israel's defense minister on Thursday laid out his vision for the next phase of the war in Gaza, describing how Israeli forces would shift to an apparently scaled-down new combat approach in northern Gaza while continuing to fight Hamas in the south of the territory for as long as necessary. Ahead of a visit by the U.S. Secretary of State, Yolav Gallant, also outlined uh, a proposal for how Gaza would be run once Hamas is defeated, with Israel keeping security control while an unidentified Israeli-guided Palestinian body runs day-to-day administration, and the U.S. and other countries oversee rebuilding. Israel is under heavy international pressure to spell out a post-war vision, but so far has not done so. The United States has pressed Israel to shift to lower-intensity military operations in Gaza that more precisely target Hamas after nearly three devastating months of bombardment and ground assaults. The vagueness of many of Gallant's provisions made it difficult to assess how much they mesh with the U.S. calls. An Israeli airstrike Thursday flattened a home in Muwasa, a small rural strip on Gaza's southern coastline that Israel's military previously declared a safe zone. 
The blast killed at least 12 people, Palestinian hospital officials said. The dead included a man and his wife, seven of their children, and three other children ranging in age from 5 to 14, according to a list of the dead who arrived at Nasser Hospital in nearby Khan Yunus. There was no immediate response from Israel's military. Israel's campaign in Gaza has killed more than 22,400 people, more than two-thirds of them women and children, according to the health ministry in the Hamas-run territory. The ministry's count does not differentiate, differentiate between civilians and combatants. Israel vowed to destroy Hamas after its October 7 attack. Much of the northern Gaza, which troops invaded two months ago, is flattened beyond recognition. Some 85% of Gaza's 2.3 million people have been driven from their homes and squeezed into smaller silvers of the territory, slivers of the territory. Israel's siege of the territory has caused a humanitarian crisis with a quarter of the population starving because not enough supplies are entering, according to the UN. Headline reads, Russia and Ukraine trade at long-range attacks. U.S. says North Korea provided Kremlin with missiles and launchers. It's an Associated Press article. Russia's defense ministry said Thursday its air defenses shot down 10 Ukrainian air-launched missiles over Crimea and 10 over the Russian city of Belgorod, as both sides in the war pounded each other with long-range aerial strikes while fighting on the front line is largely deadlocked. The White House, meanwhile, said U.S. intelligence officials determined that Moscow acquired ballistic missiles from North Korea and fired at least one of them into Ukraine on December 30th. It also was seeking close-range ballistic missiles from Iran, Washington said. One person was wounded by the falling debris of a downed aerial target in Sebastopol, a major port in the largest city on the Russian, uh, Russia-annexed Crimean peninsula, peninsula, regional governor Mikhail Razakalyev said. In Washington, U.S. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby said recently declassified intelligence found that North Korea provided Russia with ballistic missile launchers and several ballistic missiles. Kirby said a Russia-Iran deal has had not been completed, but he said the U.S. is concerned that Russia negotiations to acquire close-range ballistic missiles from Iran are actively advancing. Turning to sports here for a uh, minute, football. Nothing local I can see here, but here's a story on the Harbrook, Harbach brothers soaring again with Michigan and the Ravens, written by Noah Trister of the Associated Press, and the dateline is Owings Mills, Maryland. <clears throat> Eleven years after turning the Super Bowl into one of football's most memorable family reunions, John and Jim Harbaugh are again at the forefront of the sport. This time, the two coaches are chasing different prizes and won't be in each other's way. John Harbaugh... Baltimore Ravens uh, have the NFL's best record and have clinched the top seed in the AFC playoffs. Jim Harbaugh's Michigan team faces Washington on Monday night in Houston for college football's national title, a game John said he's planning to attend. I've never seen either of them have as much fun with their team as they're having now, said Joni Crean, their younger sister. It brings a pure smile to my face, she said. The family should be used to the publicity by now. At the end of the 2012 season, John's Ravens defeated Jim's San Francisco 49ers in the Super Bowl. Jim took over the 
Michigan program after the 2014 season and now has the Wolverines playing for the national championship. Of course, Jim has also been as polarizing as ever this season. Suspended once by his school amid allegations of recruiting violations and then by the Big Ten during the fallout from Michigan's sign-stealing scandal. Through all of that, John Harbaugh was quick to support his brother, saying at one point that Jim had come through this thing with flying colors and that an investigation into Jim's phones and computers had turned up nothing of substance. When Jim was suspended for a road game against Maryland, John had him over to watch. Lately, the mood at Michigan has been far more celebratory. After Monday's semifinal victory over Alabama at the Rose Bowl, Jack Harbaugh and his wife Jackie, the parents of Jim, John, and Joni, did an exuberant and daring interview for WXYZ, a TV, a TV station in Detroit. Jack said at a key moment in the game, he and Jackie superstitiously traded seats. That is so classic of them. It probably did make the difference. John Harbaugh said Wednesday, My dad is fun, but he's a little bit polished. He's been interviewed before. My mom, you put a microphone in front of her face or you hang out with her for a couple of minutes. You don't even have to ask her what she thinks. She's going to tell you what she thinks, he said. Jack has an assistant coach at Michigan under... Jack was an assistant coach at Michigan under Bo Schembechler, and Jim played quarterback there during the mid-1980s. John was a defensive back at Miami of Ohio. The family saying, who's got it's better than us, is one Jim has made somewhat famous, and John has worn a Ravens colored shirt with that question on it in practice. Here are a few on this date, little brief stories. In 1914, Otto Industrialist Henry Ford announced he was going to pay workers $5 for an eight-hour day as opposed to $2.34 for a nine-hour day. Employees still work six days a week. The five-day work week was instituted in 1926. In 1933, construction began on the Golden Gate Bridge. Work was completed four years later. In 1943, on this date, educator and scientist George Washington Carver who was born into slavery, died in Tuskegee, Alabama at about the age of 80. In 1957, on this date, President Dwight D. Eisenhower proposed assistance to countries to help them resist communist aggression in what became known as the Eisenhower Doctrine. In 1972, President Richard Nixon announced that he had ordered development of the space shuttle. 1994, Thomas P. Tip O'Neill former Speaker of the House of Representatives, died at age of 81. In 1998, Sonny Bono, the 1960s pop star-turned-politician, was killed when he struck a tree while skiing at the Heavenly Ski Resort on the Nevada-California state line. He was 62. And in 2004, foreigners arriving at U.S. airports were photographed and had their fingerprints scanned in the start of a government effort to keep terrorists out of the country. 2011, John Boehner was elected Speaker as Republicans regained control of the House or represent of Representatives on the first day of the new Congress. 2022, Australian denied, on this date in 2022, Australia denied entry to tennis star Novak Djokovic, who was seeking to play for a 10th Australian Open title later in the month. Authorities canceled 
his visa because he failed to meet the requirements for an exemption to COVID-19 vaccination rules. And in 2023, Russian President Vladimir Putin, on this date, ordered his armed forces to observe a unilateral 36-hour ceasefire in Ukraine for the Orthodox Christmas holiday, the first such sweeping truce move in the nearly 11-month-old war. Those were Associated Press articles. You are listening to the Cedar Rapids Gazette, I'm sorry, you are listening to the Mason City Globe Gazette and the Fort Dodge Messenger, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. All material heard on IRIS is intended solely for the use of the blind and print disabled. I'm your reader, Doug Kretzinger. If you have any comments on this or any other IRIS program, give us a call at 515-243-6833. And now we're going to turn into the Fort Dodge Messenger paper for today, which is January 5, Friday, 2024. And the Messenger has... uh, some local stories here. I'm going to read <coughs> uh, the um, story they have in here um, on the school shooting reported in Perry. And uh, there'll probably be some um, things you may have heard before, but I'm going to read the one that the messenger has. A 17-year-old opened fire in a small town, Iowa School, on the first day of school after the winter break, killing a sixth grader and wounding five others Thursday as students barricaded in offices, ducked in classrooms, and fled in panic. The suspect at the school in Perry died of what investigators believe is a self-inflicted gunshot wound, an Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation official said. Authorities said one of the five people wounded was an administrator and later identified as Perry High School Principal Dan Marburger by an eastern Iowa school district where he graduated from high school. Authorities identified the shooter as Dylan Butler, 17, provided no information about a possible motive. Two friends and their mother who spoke with the Associated Press said Butler was a quiet person who had been bullied for years. Perry has about 8,000 residents and is about 40 miles northwest of Des Moines. It's on the edge of the state capital's metropolitan area. It is home to a large pork processing plant and low-slung single-story homes spread among trees now shum, now shorn of their leaves by winter. The high school and middle school are connected, sitting on the east edge of town. Authorities said the shooter had a pump-action shotgun and a small-caliber handgun. Mitch Mortved, the state investigation division's assistant director, said during a news conference that authorities also found a pretty rudimentary um, improvised explosive device and rendered it safe. The suspect's motive is being uninvestigated, and authorities are looking into a number of social media posts he made around the time of the shooting, Mortved added. Sisters uh, Yasinya Roder and Kamaya, or Kamya Hall, both 17, uh, said alongside their mother, Alita, that Butler was bullied relentlessly since elementary school but it escalated recently when his younger sister started getting picked on, too. Officials at the school didn't intervene, they said, and that was the last straw for Butler. He was hurting. He got tired. He got tired of the bullying. He got tired of the harassment, Yasinia Roder Hall, 17, said. Was it a smart idea to shoot up the school? No. God, no, she said. Perry High School senior 
Ava Augustus said she was worrying a or awaiting a counselor in a school office when she heard three shots. Unable to flee through a small window, she and others barricaded the door and were uh, ready to throw things if necessary. And then we hear, he's down, you can go out, Augustus said uh, through tears. And I run, and you can just see glass everywhere, blood on the floor. I get to my car, and they're taking a girl out of the auditorium who had been shot in her leg. Three gunshot victims were being uh, treated at Iowa Methodist Medical Center in Des Moines, spokesperson said. Others were taken to a second Des Moines hospital. Spokesman for Mercy One Des Moines Medical Center confirmed. Mortved said one person was in critical condition, but the injuries didn't appear to be life-threatening. The other items, the other victims, were stable, he said. Community members gathered for a vigil Thursday evening at a park. A post on the high school's Facebook page said it would be closed Friday and counseling services would be available for students, faculty, and members of the community. Governor Kim Reynolds ordered all flags in Iowa, lowered to half-staff. This senseless tragedy has taken the entire state to its core, she said. In Washington, President Joe Biden and U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland were briefed on the shooting. FBI agents found from the Omaha-Des Moines office are assisting with the investigation led by the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation. The shooting occurred in the backdrop of Iowa's looming first-in-the-nation presidential caucuses. GOP candidate Vivek Ramaswamy had a 9 a.m. campaign event scheduled in Perry, about one and a half miles uh, from the school, but canceled it to hold a prayer and intimate discussion with area residents. Mass shootings across the U.S. have long brought uh, calls for stricter gun laws from the gun safety advocates, and Thursdays uh, did within hours. But that idea has been a non-starter for many Republicans, particularly in rural GOP-leaning states like Iowa. Uh, Ramaswamy Ramaswamy said the shooting is a sign of a psychological sickness in the country. In Des Moines, GOP rival and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis said that gun violence is more of a local and state issue in an interview with the Des Moines Register and NBC News. The high school in Perry is part of the 1,785-student Perry Community School District. The town is more diverse than Iowa as a whole. Census figures show 31% of the residents are Hispanic, compared to less than 7% nationwide, or rather statewide. Those figures also show nearly 19% of the town's residents were born outside the U.S. 30 said an active shooter was reported at 7.37 a.m. Thursday, and officers arrived within minutes. Emergency vehicles surrounded the complex. Officers immediately attempted to locate the source of the threat and quickly found what appeared to be the shooter with a self-inflicted gunshot wound, Mortved said. Rachel Cares, an 18-year-old senior, was wrapping up jazz band practice when she and her band uh, bandmates heard that she described as four gunshots spaced apart. We all just jumped. My band teacher looked at us and yelled, run, so we ran, Cares said. Care said many others from the uh, school ran out on past the football field as, the, as she heard people yelling, get out, get out. She said she heard additional shots as she ran, but didn't know how many. She was more concerned about getting home to her three-year-old son. Xander Shelley, 15, was in a hallway when he heard gunshots and dashed into a classroom, according to his father, Kevin Shelley. Sander was uh, grazed twice and hit 
hid in the classroom before texting his father at 7.36 a.m. Kevin Shelley, who drives a garbage truck, told his sons, told his boss he had to run. It was the most scared I've been in my entire life, he said. He later posted a photo on Facebook of his son being treated at the Methodist Medical Center and said the boy was feeling fine. He added, I'm still shaking and I don't, and uh, though I, I don't know, show it, I'm not okay. Webster County offers support to Perry. Webster County Supervisor Nikki Conrad and Amanda Holmes, communications manager for the city of Fort Dodge, released the following statement in the wake of the Thursday morning shooting in Perry. Webster County and all its cities and towns therein, therein extend our sincere support to the people of Dallas County, specifically the Perry community, as they weather this horrific act of violence today. We have reached out to our colleagues in local government in Dallas County to offer any assistance they may need. In an abundance of caution, the Fort Dodge Police Department and the Webster County Sheriff's Office immediately placed extra patrol presence at schools throughout the Fort Dodge and Webster County. We want to thank our partners, both in law enforcement and at the school systems, for prioritizing the safety of our children and offering security and reassurance during this time. Quote, our hearts are with the Perry community, end quote. Uh, Webster City is the dateline for this story. A fresh start in Webster City. City Council confirms contract with Herenstein Hawkins becomes mayor again. After unexpected, abrupt, and simultaneous resignations late last year of the two top executives in city government, the City Council of Webster City put all that behind it by starting the new year with a new interim city manager. After approving the appointment of John Herenstein, for the position, Major John Hawkins clarified the term of Herenstein's contract is for nine months beginning January 2, 2024, and running through October 2 of 2024, not September 2 of 2024, as noted in the draft contract sent out in uh, the council agenda packet and as previously reported by the Daily Freeman Journal. Herenstein, who spent his first day on the job meeting city and staff and touring city facilities said, I've had a fabulous first day. Thanks to everyone for such a warm welcome. Webster City's mayor and mayor pro tem are selected from among members of city council, and that was the first item of business on the agenda. Hawkins was re-elected mayor, and Logan Welch, mayor pro tem, both unanimously. Councilwoman Megan McFarland was not present at the, me- at the meeting, but most, both men will serve two terms. Here's a front-page story. It's entitled Livestock Below and a Basketball Game Above, written by Clayton Rye. And the um, dateline is St. Benedict. Steve Bernhard grew up on his family's farm located across the blacktop from St. Benedict, where he and his wife Dawn now live. The community of St. Benedict is located east of Algona, very close to the Kasuth-Hancock County line. It was named after the St. Benedict Catholic Church, which was the focal point of the community. However, the church has since been torn down. Uh, Bernard attended the St. Benedict Parochial School and was one of five children of David and Darlene Bernard, who bought the farm in 1964. One of the first things done in the barn after moving in was to remove the cow manure that had accumulated to such a depth that Bernhard said the cow's 
uh, backs were rubbing the rafters. The 46 by 70 foot barn was built in 1907. During the 1960s, an older gentleman stopped by the farm and said he had helped build it. Well, built with wooden pegs, the barn was built as a bank barn, with the front being four feet higher than the back and with an ice house on the south or rather north side. It was originally built for dairy cows, and the dairy equipment remains in place today. The barn was or has always held livestock of various kinds. In 1964, it was converted to a place for farrowing hogs. 1975, used for the transfer of purebred embryos into beef cattle. And for 25 years, 150 ewes lambed in the barn. After the sheep, chickens were kept in the barn and then, and are there to this day laying colorful eggs that seem destined for an Easter basket. The barn has been shingled twice since the Bernhards bought it. First time was in 1964. However, the steel roof installed by Four Seasons Construction is the one Bernhard hopes is the last roof of the barn uh, the barn's going to need, thereby ensuring its future. Like many barns, uh, there is a basketball hoop still in place in the hay mow. Bernard Bernhard said when the mow was uh, full, the first place to have the bales removed was the area around the hoop so the floor could be used for a game of basketball. He recalls walking with a group of his friends from the parochial school to the Haymow for a one-hour game of basketball over the noon hour before afternoon classes began. He remembers how the bouncing basketball would raise dust from the Haymow below. Not only was there dust from the hay, but also long, uh, also hog dust from the hogs being raised in the barn. Then after their basketball game, it was back to afternoon classes with all of them wearing a layer of dust and nobody seemed to mind. Time to read uh, some obituaries today. We have about three or four here. Dennis C. Johnson, 89, Fort Dodge, passed away Tuesday, the 2nd of January, Unity Point Trinity Regional Medical Center in Fort Dodge. Services will be 11.30 a.m. on Friday, January the 5th, that's today, at the Gunderson Funeral Chapel. Burial will be in North Lawn Cemetery with Full military honors conducted by the United States Air Force and VFW Post Number 1856. Visitation will be from 9:30 a.m. to 11:30 a.m. on Friday at the Gunnerson Funeral Home and cremation services in um, Fort Dodge. So Dennis is survived by his wife Mary Lou, their four children, Jeff, spouse Karen Johnson of Marco Island, Florida. Scott, Michelle, his wife or his uh, spouse, Michelle Johnson of Fort Dodge. Steve, spouse, Susan Johnson of Mansfield, Texas. And Susan, spouse, Clayton Carlson of Eden Prairie, Minnesota. Seven grandchildren, Nick, spouse, Erica Johnson. Sam Johnson, Ben Johnson. Jennifer, spouse, Jacob Sherbet. Megan, spouse, Sale Matthews Johnson. Nicole Johnson and Natalie, spouse David Waldvogel Carlson, eight great-grandchildren, Jackson, Joseph, Harper, Berkeley, Madison, Connor, Lindy, and Charlie. Dennis is preceded in death by his parents. 
Dennis Charles Johnson, the son of Eric and Edna Johnson, was born January 14, 1934 in Fort Dodge. He was a member of the Fort Dodge Senior High graduating class of 1952. On August 22, 1954, Dennis was united in marriage to Mary Lou Hobson in Fort Dodge. Dennis is part of the ROTC at Iowa State College in Ames and graduated in 1956 from ISC with a degree in animal husbandry. He was a member of Sigma Chi fraternity. On March 11, 1957, Dennis entered the United States Air Force, served as a navigator on a C-124 Globemaster. After his honorable discharge on January 21 of 1960, he joined his father Eric Johnson and Clarence Johnson in the Callan Johnson Monument Company. He has remained co-owner of KJ Monument ever since. Dennis and Mary Lou have been fortunate to spend their summer uh, at the Lake uh, Home in northern Minnesota for the past 30 years where he was able to work uh, remotely. For the past 20 years, they were able to spend their winters in Florida. Dennis was a member of the First Presbyterian Church in Fort Dodge, Fort Dodge Betterment Foundation, and served as Fort Dodge Chamber of Commerce President. He served for 18 years on Trinity Regional Medical Center uh, Hospital Boards. He was also past member of the Lions Club in Sertoma. Dennis was involved nationally with monumental or Monument Builders of North America and was able to serve as MBNA president in 1975. Uh, Callan Johnson has been a member of the American Institute of Commemorative Arts since 1973, where Dennis was able to serve on their board in the mid-1980s. Memorials may be left to First Presbyterian Church in Fort Dodge. Laura Vanderwell, Fort Dodge, 50 years old, passed away Friday, December 29 at St. Luke's Hospital in Sioux City. Funeral services will be 2 p.m. Monday, the 8th of January, in the chapel of Loffesweiler Funeral Home. Burial will follow in North Lawn Cemetery. And Anita Hinners, Humboldt, died on January 2. Funeral, uh, 11 a.m. Saturday, January 6th at Oak Hill Church in Humboldt. Visitation 10 to 11 a.m. at church. Burial will be, uh, will be in Union Cemetery and masonlindhart.com for more information. Here are a couple items you may be interested in. It's called Go and Do around the area. Otho, Otho Betterment Committee is holding bingo today, 220 Rake Street, Otho. Doors open at 6 p.m. with bingo starting at 7 p.m. So if you're interested... And in Fort Dodge, Peace Creek Animal Sanctuary and Rescue, Badger, is holding a pet adoption event beginning at 10 a.m. Saturday at Pent Supplies Plus, 2916 Fifth Avenue, South Fort Dodge. Turning to the sports section of the paper today, this is a story from Iowa City. All-American DeGene declares for draft. Consensus, Iowa All-American Cooper DeGene is foregoing his senior football season and will enter the NFL draft. The former OABCIG standout and Odeboat native announced his decision on Twitter Thursday, posting, in quote, these past three years have been filled with memories that will last a lifetime. Putting on the black and gold and playing in Kinnick Stadium has been a dream of mine since I was a little kid, and it has been everything I expected and more, end quote. DeGene is ranked as a projected top 20 overall prospect and among the top cornerbacks on the board for this April's draft. 
The junior has, uh, was stabbed, tabbed as an All-American by every major publication this season after recording two interceptions, five pass breakups, 41 tackles, and not allowing a single touchdown in 388 snaps of coverage. He also averaged 11.5 yards on punt returns, taking one back for pivotal score against Michigan State. DeGene's season was cut short by a November injury in practice, which caused him to miss the team's final two regular season games and both the Big Ten championship and bowl game against Tennessee. DeGene was named both the Defensive Back of the Year and Return Specialist of the Year in the Big Ten as a sophomore in 2022. DeGene intercepted five passes and returned three for scores. Headline, number two Dodgers dominate on the road, written by Chris Johnson. Dateline is Waterloo. The second-ranked Fort Dodge wrestling team had little trouble with Waterloo East on Thursday, coming, uh, causing, cruising rather, to a 53-12 victory. It was nice to get out and compete after the holidays, said FDSH head coach Bobby Thompson. Our performance definitely reflects some of the troubles we had with our training habits. We need to shore some things up. The Dodgers won 11 matches, earning bonus points in eight. Our dual schedule doesn't set us up well for the tournament schedule, Thomason said. Now we uh, turn around and compete against some really tough teams on Saturday. In my eyes, it was good to get on the mat. Now we have to get back to work, he said. Drew Alea, 120, Sam Davidson, 126, Coy Davidson, 144, and Drashawn Ross, 215, all picked up falls. Ayala, A-Y-A-L-A, I think I'm saying that right, Alaya, now has 132 career wins and sits in 10th place on the Dodgers' all-time win list. Jesse Eglai, 165, had a technical fall, while Sam Moser, 138, and Luke Furkey, 285, won by forfeit. Trace Ryle, 106, Hunter Kasperbauer, 113, Kane Butrick, 132, and Cal Hartman, 190, all prevailed as well for the Dodgers. I thought Trace and Hunter had big wins, Thompson said. Trace got taken down right away against a kid that's a junior and has a 17-7 record. He wrestled hard and battled. Hunter gutted out a victory, and Cal had, uh, and Cal had a good win. The highlight match was at 175 pounds, as top-ranked Maximum Magana met number three Demarion Ross of the Dodgers. Magaya is a transfer from Waterloo, Columbus, where he was a three-time state champion. Magaya earned a 7-1 victory. From this weekend, we have five more weeks until districts, Thompson said. We have about 25 more practices to hone our skills and get ready for districts. The Dodgers are back in action on Saturday in Ames at the Mendenhall Invitational. Number 13, Black, Hot, uh, Black Raiders pull away from uh, Fort Dodge girls. Bitten. For one half, the Fort Dodge girls basketball team was within striking distance of number 13, Class 5A East, on Thursday night. The Dodgers, 5-4 and four overall, trailed by 8 at the break, but the Black Raiders, 7-3, and three, built a 22-point lead at the end of the three periods and never looked back in an 81-41 victory. We played, very, we played well early, said FDSH head coach Scott Messerly. We just couldn't get any stops down the stretch. The Black Riders used a quick offense to hoist up 59 total shots, connecting for 30. They were 18 of 31 in the second half. Sioux City East made his 
its living on the outside, connecting on 14 of their 35 three-point attempts. Dodgers trailed 22-13 midway through the second quarter and went on a 11-5 run to trim the deficit to 27-24. East outscored the Dodgers 21-7 in the fourth quarter and 28-10 in the fourth, in the third quarter and 28-10 in the fourth. We hit a bucket to start the second half, and they responded with two straight threes, Messerly said. We called a timeout, and then they just came back and went on a 15-5 run. Senior Mackenzie McElrath had a big first half for the Dodgers, scoring 10 of her 17 points. Sophomore L.J. Mayo had a strong opening half as well, contributing 9 of her team-high 18 points. And Mayo and Dakota Palmer had 5 rebounds each, while McElrath and Maya McCaleb had four apiece. The Black Riders had four players reach double figures. Led by Alexandra Flattery's 21 points, at one point in the fourth quarter, she had 10 straight for the Black Raiders. Hudson Ranshaw added 19 points, while Trichelle Miller contributed 13, and Haven Ranshaw chipped in with 11. Hudson Ranshaw had five trays. The Dodgers are back in action on Friday, that'd be the day when they host fourth-ranked Mason City. Tip is set for 6.15 p.m. Here's a couple of short uh, stories on area roundup. The Tritons earned road win. Marshalltown, Iowa Central Women opened 2024 with a commanding 77-56 victory over Marshalltown here Wednesday night. Caitlin Kendall scored 15 points with Laney Pilcher adding 14. Emily Theis had 11. Laney Mihail and Alicia Halstead each scored 10 for the Tritons, 10-3 overall, 2-2 in ICCAC. Iowa Central raced out to an early 28-8 lead and never looked back, building the advantage to 24 at the break. First came back after The first game back after an extended break is always a bit tricky as most teams are rusty. ICCC head coach Seba Dickerson Our team came out of the state gate at a tremendous first half. Up next for the Tritons will be Southwestern on Saturday inside Hodges Fieldhouse beginning at 1 p.m. And the annual Vinnie Harvey Wrestling Tournament is set for Friday at St. Edmund High School. The tournament is open to all pre-K 6th grade boys and girls with weighing starting at 4 p.m. Matches at 5 p.m. There will be four different divisions, PK to K, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th and 6th. Cost is $25 per wrestler if pre-registered and $50 for walk-in. Registration link is on Thanksgiving, or is on track wrestling, I'm sorry. For more information, please contact Lainey Montag at 515-368-1878. And uh, I think that would work for that. And Fort Dodge uh, JV2 earns win over East. The Fort Dodge JV2 girls downed Sioux City East here Thursday night, 32-29. to Emma Lloyd scored 11. Ellie Doster added 5 for the Dodgers, 2-2 two two overall. There's another article on Caitlin Clark. I'm not going to read it all, but there's a couple points in here before we wrap up our day today. Uh, when the... Meg, when the Megan Gustafson's senior year when the Hawkeyes went 29-7 and reached the Elite Eight. Gustafson was an All-American, and Iowa had a fantastic squad that year. Yet most of the Hawkeyes' home dates were drawing up to 4,000 to 9,000 range for attendance. Carver Hawkeye Arena holds 14,998 for women's games. Given there are 15 home dates in typical 
regular season and tickets today range in anywhere from 5 to 10 times face value on up. It could be argued that Clark is either directly or indirectly generating over $15 million in additional revenue this year on game days alone, probably more. I thought that was a pretty interesting uh, note there. That's, that's a lot of money. So that brings us to the end of today's reading of the Mason City Globe Gazette and the Fort Dodge Messenger. I'm your reader, Doug Kretzinger. I want to thank you for sharing your time with IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. Have a good day.